in the cart, Willie's like, why would you imply I'm not the true author of our big success? He's like, you got <laughs> it's like, because you're not, but okay. Uh, it's like branding, baby, <laughs> branding. You got to like hold on to the brand. You need my we name. We are a content a farm. <laughs> I've never written anything. That's why my name is so powerful as a writer. Uh <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by Princess Weeks. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to talk about Colette. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. And as, as you said, we're talking about Colette today. So I do have to ask you the question that I ask every guest at the top of the show. Why did we watch Colette? Well, when you talked about wanting to pick something that would be in line with kind of the strike regulations, mm -hmm. I was literally looked and turned over to my uh, to my <laughs> shelf of Blu-rays and I was just like, oh, Colette. It literally was just <laughs> like I turned around and there she was with Waiting. her bangs and Bob just looking at me. And I thought I haven't watched this movie in forever, so mm -hmm. I would love to rewatch it and talk about it. Because I feel like it came out at a very interesting time in sort of like lesbian, queer, femme cinema, mm -hmm. um, but then kind of came and went really quickly. So I was like, this will be fun to rewatch. Yeah, this was one I completely missed. So this was a new watch for me. I was really excited about that. Uh, I love Akira Knightley moment, and she's always fantastic. She's fantastic as always. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I, great pick. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you have more context for it than I did because I was I watched it this morning before we recorded and uh, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but obviously I lack the space and time for it. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about this one today. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I made notes and I even was like, let me get into some of the history of Colette. Hell so like, yeah. I'm, I'm here to answer some of your questions. I can't promise <laughs> all, but I will get a lot of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, why don't we jump on in? We open with the sounds of birdsong as we fade up onto... Just great stuff from the cat and also a very period bedroom in the early hours of the uh, a peaceful morning. And we get the title of the film, Colette, uh, as an older woman calls for a younger girl, Gabrielle, to wake up. After all, uh, Willie is coming to visit today. Again, I really can't emphasize enough great stuff from the cat who also wakes up, really giving us a full performance here in this opening that, scene. <laughs> that cat is an MVP. I was she just ate. like... <laughs> Like, literally, what a pose. I wish mm -hmm. I could get my cat to do that. <laughs> Every day. Sometimes my cat Ziggy does make a cameo on this podcast, but never quite so coordinated as uh, our orange cat here on screen. But we go from this bedroom to a train on which a behatted man excitedly pokes his head out the window and watches as the train pulls into... And this is the point where I do have to apologize to the audience for how terrible my pronunciation of French names and words is going to be throughout this entire podcast. We all just need to agree to move past it now because it is not going to improve. We're just going to uh, close our eyes and just be like, yes, mm -hmm. French. Uh, Saint-Savier? Saint-Savier? Hmm? Whatever yeah, it is. That sounds good yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, did Casablanca yeah. a while back with my dad, and we both yeah. kind of showed our uh, showed our asses a little bit on how little we were able to pronounce French names. So this is going to be an exercise, and just looking the other way for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like sans savoir un poisson, like something like that. Like yeah. I've I've been taking French, but I've never had like the nasal accent. I know mm -hmm. sans savoir, and then it's like 
other stuff, but it's burgundy. It's burgundy. Yes. <laughs> it's burgundy. It's 1892. Uh, everyone is having a moment. Gabrielle, the young girl, begins to serve tea over breakfast as the two men, her father and Willie, uh, and the older woman, who I think is her mother, she usually mm-hmm. calls her by her first name, but that was kind of implied subtext, um, discuss the events of the world and whatnot. They turn to speaking of the theater a bit, and Willie, with all of the pretension of every man who's ever walked into a theater and watched mm-hmm. a show, uh, described bad theater like dentistry immediate understanding of who this character is based on the way that he just blanket presented his opinions on stage. I don't know if that was flavored too much by working backstage in theater my whole life or what, but ooh, just I an feel immediate f- red flag to me. Right. I feel, I somewhat feel for Dominic West because I feel mm. like his entire brand now is playing horrible adulterous <laughs> men. Like I, feel like, I feel like the brand is so strong yeah. and he is playing just like the biggest art douchebag in this film Mm -hmm. and yet i entirely know why people date him it's like it's very (laughs) it's one of the things that i'm like yep that's a libertine all right (laughs) (laughs) thank you nailed it i was i haven't seen dominic the last thing i saw him in was i was rewatching the wire like a couple weeks ago and so i was like oh yeah mcnulty's in this oh that's fun wait oh oh no oh Yeah, it's like post The Wire, I feel like most of his stuff is like he's playing like a scummy dude or a dude that has like a weird relationship with the woman. Like it's just mm-hmm. just bad vibes are us. I feel so yeah. bad for him. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, but he does try to redeem himself in this moment by presenting uh, Gabrielle with a little gift. It's a snow globe with the Eiffel Tower inside of it. It's a very pretty little trinket. Mm-hmm. Willie leaves and Gabrielle decides to go for a walk in the countryside, instructed by her mother to first go change her dress out of her nice frilly yellow one into something a little simpler and safer for the mud. Mm -hmm. And as she comes downstairs after changing, she overhears her parents talking, her father wanting to marry her off, but concerned with her lack of a dowry that Willie might not want to marry someone who can bring nothing to the table. Nothing in the, you know, proverbial yield in time sense of actually exchanging a woman for some value and i love how it's like never mind that willie is like 14 years older than her because they're yeah they're very french like there's so many times <laughs> things that happen in this movie that i'm like yeah that's very french <laughs> like- mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of um i don't know if you've ever seen the movie or the musical gg but uh oh yeah again like much older man written with by colette country girl <laughs> written by colette <laughs> Very exacting and very appropriate. Um, but she leaves taking a basket for blackberries. And on her walk through the woods, Gabrielle makes her way to a barn where she meets up with Willie for a uh, not so proverbial lounge in the hay. Uh, <laughs> a tussle, one a might tussle, say. A roll even, perhaps. <laughs> uh, they're very much in love, yada yada. Later, Gabrielle writes to Willie, expressing this very love in her letters. And we get kind of the first moment of Gabrielle writing in the, the film. And I really like the way that they uh, have the Colette voice, which is still Kira Knightley, but kind of with a certain inflection point onto it whenever she's writing and they narrate her writing over top of it. Yeah. It gives a sense of like the idea of the writer and then the character that the writer presents uh, very clearly to the audience while not really like taking you out of the film too much. Right. And I also like that it just kind of very much illustrates to you that 
why why he can see the writing potential in her is because mm-hmm. like she writes beautifully yeah. and it's like that's like even though there's obviously the age and the like muse element with them you see from like that why he's so intrigued by her and was like yeah she's gonna help me with my work mm-hmm. exactly uh we cut to paris 1893 gabrielle is back and now she is being dressed by her uh maid mathilde lady-in-waiting equivalent servant <laughs> uh they're trying to fit her into this new a little bit more scandalous uh red dress but it's just too tight so she switches to her old more conservative one despite willie's apparent disappointment uh she promises to get it altered and they head off to the salon. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love how their way of showing that Kira Knightley is about like nineteen twenty is like keeping those pigtails mm-hmm. for as long as they can. <laughs> <laughs> but it also works because she just is like she's so lovely. Um, she's never looked more like Audrey Hepburn than she does in like certain scenes in this mm-hmm. film. And I do feel like it's a great role for her because I think it combines so many things about her because I feel like she's very queer icon. She's mm-hmm. very much someone who people associate with androgyny. And I think this is the first time I've seen her in something where she's leaning into that. Yeah, and they do a great job of pacing throughout the film how much they let her lean into it at any given time through like the costuming. And like you were saying, the the long hair and the two pigtails is a very young feminine kind of look. Uh, and it's here that she's still in like overly frilly dresses, the, the mm-hmm. le- less figure hugging ones. Uh, and as we go later and later and she starts to kind of claim more of her own style and her own androgyny, you do see that kind of shift into different hairstyles, different types of clothing, even before we'll get to it. But she's going to wear some pants, which is a great look. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> even before then, the dresses that she's wearing tend to be more masculine, more structured. Uh, and I think it's a nice transition. It kind of like pushes you through the whole film. I agree. Yeah, it's like, I forgot that she was nominated for an Oscar for this. Sorry, I just, uh, <laughs> for, for something else. But um, I, I think that also for a while when she wasn't, you know, we know her so many films of doing period pieces, mm-hmm. um, but it's always just very like corseted, very like tight clothing. Mm, yeah. So it's nice to also see her working with this kind of like, She's not sexualized in the traditional way. The director of the movie, he is it's a man, but it's a gay man. It's um, Wash Westmore. Um, so they're definitely, well, I don't think there's a female gaze in the film. I do feel like the film itself really highlights the, like, gender androgyny of, mm-hmm. like, the character and of Keira Knightley herself, while still making her, like, very, like, desirable, but desirable in a different way, which was, like, very fun to watch. I remember I saw when I saw the screening for it um, I was talking with my editor and we're both queer and we were both like Kira Knightley doing sit-ups in like <laughs> cutoffs is like peak what we wanted from this production <laughs> things you don't even know you want and it's like wow yeah. amazing yeah exactly Willie and Gabrielle arrive at the fancy soiree at the salon where uh, immediately Willie makes an erection joke about the Eiffel Tower and I was like okay I get what this movie's doing uh <laughs> <laughs> he goes about introducing his wife, Gabrielle. Uh, many of the guests are surprised that he's settled down, both due to Willie's reputation and her country origins. Introduces her to one of his writers, uh, Verbard, Verbard, who wants to discuss writing that's due soon with him. So the two of them excuse themselves and Gabrielle is left to herself. 
she's immediately drawn to a jewel-encrusted turtle, sad for the poor thing taken Mm -hmm. so far from its natural home. I wonder if this might perhaps be something of a theme throughout. It it feels like it's telling the audience something. I wonder Mm -hmm. what it could be. (laughs) Guess we're just going to have to wait and find out. Oh, Uh, She wanders the party, not participating, but rather floating through uh, until she spots Willie flirting with another woman in a red dress that kind of harkens back to the one we saw her uh, decide not to wear. And on the way home, she complains about being bored with the shallow and pretentious company at the salon, though Willie goes to bat for it. So she turns it around on him uh, and expresses the thing that really upset her, which was him talking to the other woman. Uh, He tries to shrug that interaction off as just a flirtation, a way to pass the time, and reassures her that he's happily married, uh, and she accepts this assessment for they're fine for now. It's so funny how, like, I I think in in this dynamic, you kind of assume that she's going to be the passive wife. Mm -hmm. And while there's elements of that, like, of her being more naive, she really gives him a lot of grief which I do enjoy like yeah. I do enjoy that they manage to show like yes they have the power difference of gender and age but she's not a passive participant in their marriage nor in like how he handles these affairs yeah like to that point when I started watching this I really didn't know what I was in for uh and so I kind of just understanding how these period pieces tend to go I'm like okay later on at, at like the emotional climax of the movie she'll finally break she'll finally like get over uh, and confront him about all his infidelity. And I was so I was a little surprised, pleasantly so, at how quickly into the film you start to kind of address this in their relationship. And you see that they have a different dynamic than the one that you typically expect from, mm-hmm. you know, the timid wife. She's not that character. Uh, yeah. And I, breaking it so early, I think, only serves to benefit her breaking a lot of other molds later on. Exactly. And I think one of the interesting things I know we're kind of getting I'm getting ahead of it. But <laughs> I think the thing that's really interesting about like their marriage as presented in the film is that mm-hmm. the really big thing is that he doesn't communicate and doesn't give her the respect that she deserves. Because if it was just if if there that element of respect was just simply there, they would mm-hmm. have a very functional marriage yeah. where like it's just very open and they do what they want, but they have like this great writing collaboration. But you know, sometimes they f around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just summed up the movie more perfectly than really I could ever hope to. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just respect your other partner yeah. and you can have happiness. Communication is important in every relationship, whether you are in a period piece or not. Later, the writer Verbar comes to visit and he and Willie talk theater again, debating scripts with another writer who is present, Schwab. There's kind of the two interchangeable writers who work for Willie, who's like an editor of sorts. His name is what goes on to all of the different uh, pieces of writing that come out of his house. So he's like the brand, essentially, and has all these writers ghostwriting under him, more or less. Um, He's basically like the equivalent of like a content farm, you know, like like he's a company that's like... (laughs) putting out all these writers and like that's what he actually did in real life as well like he got all these writers Mm -hmm. together and he was able to basically say that through ghost writing for him they were going to get more publication rate higher publication rates and income than they Mm -hmm. would working somewhere else which is a crock but uh (laughs) you know a starving artist needs to eat so i understand why yes (laughs) 
Verbar is tasked with writing a novel for Willie since he wants to expand out of scripts and re music reviews and into the world of novels. Uh, and as the writers leave, Schwab in particular spots Gabrielle writing letters for Willie uh, and jokes that Willie has her writing for him too. And I was like, ah, movie, I see what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if she might move on to do a little bit more of that. Mm -hmm. um, She's like, oh, they're just letters, but he admires how thorough she is, even as she expresses that all of the crossing out and editing of herself that she's doing will be covered up when Willie inevitably copies these letters into his own neat handwriting. Meanwhile, Willie is describing Mona, the wild and sexy girl who he wants the novel to be about, uh, and Renal, the writer slash genius hero of the novel who's going to get sucked into her world of carnal connection and has to decide if he'll claw himself out and return to the noble pursuit of writing or if he'll stay in the quote-unquote sexual quagmire forever it was so cringe i was listening <laughs> to him say it i was like god damn yeah we really have to stop men like we really <laughs> we have we have to stop them from doing this it felt like he was describing the like male gaze version of the log line for this movie and mm -hmm. i kind of it almost felt like meta textual yeah. to have him saying that in the scene and then to immediately have his like writer underling go oh brilliant boss genius you got it you're onto something <laughs> yeah it's how i imagine the idol you know like that's yeah. how the, the production <laughs> went for that he's like yeah and she's gonna like secretly be the one who controls it the whole time because women are sneaky like that and it's like yeah man you really got it mm -hmm, you, you really it. said something yeah <laughs> Uh, Gabrielle overhears Verber at Verbar and Willie negotiating the timing of the drafts of this novel as he leaves uh, and exits the house to be relatively unimportant throughout the rest of the film. Uh, Gabrielle then gives Willie a draft of the letter she was writing and he's like, oh, it's perfect, save for this one slight wording change and heads out into the day. Life goes on, they share dinner and laughs and all the parts of being married uh, as Gabrielle etches his name into the window until one day she heads out in another fantastic look from Kira Knightley uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and stops into Madame Darcy's where she reads a letter to a certain Colette that she just can't believe. Uh, the letter was in French, but I assumed it was a love letter of sorts or a letter informing her of the affair that he's been having. Because she immediately exclaims, I don't believe it, and rushes out into the street, heading to an upstairs window where Willie is in bed with a mysterious woman negotiating some sort of price. <laughs> He's like, "What that for that amount, I could get any whore. And she's just like, what the hell? <laughs> and, and I love how she says, like, you keep telling me that you're broke. And yet here you are. It's so, mm -hmm. something's never changed. Yeah. Uh, and it really is just like the whole idea is like, she's like, don't lie. He's like, mm -hmm. I, I, I just, this is just what men do. These are yeah. just me doing carnal bad boy things. Yeah. He basically uses the same argument he used when he got caught flirting with another woman at the salon where it's like, well, this is just, you know, this is just, it's, it's innocent flirtation. It's just what men do. You know, you're the one I really love. Uh, and she, like you're saying, is just like, I, you know, kind of don't care about all of that. I just need you to be honest with me. Uh, you're spending all of our money on prostitutes and then you're too tired to go to bed with me. Uh, this is not what I want. Uh, she storms off. She catches a train home to the countryside and she mm -hmm. and her mother tend garden and complain about insects before Gabrielle asks if she ever felt like she was simply playing a part 
Uh, and I really liked what her mother says here because she says that she sometimes felt like she was playing the part as a wife, but never as a mother. And that gets to a very like, mm. it's very heartwarming. There's a very immediate understanding of the kind of connection between mother and daughter that they have and the relationship that they have. Uh, and she's immediately able to tell that something is wrong with her daughter. But when her mother asks after her, Gabrielle's like, no, you know, nothing is as I expected it to be. And she, she allows herself to cry and be vulnerable in her mother's arms. Um, and her mother reassures her that she need only trust in herself, uh, which is a very heartwarming piece of advice to hear. And I like that the trust is in herself and not in the relationship or in Willie, because it does show a certain amount of agency that mm -hmm. not only Gabrielle has, you know, has in herself, but has clearly been fostered in her her whole life by her mother. Exactly. Like it, it for all of the issues that are clearly there, she seems mm -hmm. to have been someone who really came from like a caring, loving environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to just shout out Fiona Shaw, who plays oh, the yeah. mother in this. She's so great. Lesbian icon, <laughs> um, which was, you know, it, it was just nice seeing her just be this loving maternal figure. And even though mm -hmm. like, I don't think her mother was queer, just having that little bit of extra like queer coding in Fiona Shaw being in that role just was like, yes this is good <laughs> yeah exactly i mean she does, she's not on screen much but when she is doing a fantastic job and the whole time she's like girl that guy ain't shit like <laughs> you're the best she's whatever please do not make yourself crazy and i'm like listen to your mom dude yeah she's got the advice mm -hmm. um Gabrielle doesn't go so far as to tell her mother exactly why she's mad at Willie, uh, but there's this moment of solidarity. They return to their plants, and eventually Willie comes to visit her in the countryside, and they go for a walk uh, where they sort of work out their relationship issues in a little discussion. He says more of the same words about how much she means to him, and uh, she tells him point blank, you can't lie to me anymore, that I want to be kept in the loop, and it he promises to make her part of everything. Uh, and again, it gets to the core issue of their relationship is not sleeping around with anyone else. It's that they need to be communicative with each other and that they need honesty from each other. But they do hug and make up. He promises to buy her a dog and they continue their walk by the pond. And Gabrielle begins to tell him about one of her childhood friends who was sweet but clumsy and as the day goes on and they're getting into bed, she's finishing up this story about a time that they got in trouble for passing a snowball around in class. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's just like, no, keep going. Cause it, yeah. it's the way that the, I think I love the most about it is just kind of like, they just show how her life can inspire art. And I think mm -hmm. one of the things that is also underlying this is the idea that like women's stories can only be appreciated sometimes when they think that women are detached from them mm -hmm. like the way that they like the way that so many people are like oh my god willie you did this all these people know. but then everyone kind of is like but look how cool his wife is though like maybe <laughs> it reminds me so much of like x f scott fitzgerald and zelda mm -hmm. fitzgerald of like these great women who whose lives inspire but because people think of women writing and women's work as sort of like fluff inherently they take the literature out of it rather than putting it back in. So I just, I love that, that that underlying thing of like, she's writing something that's so popular and is doing so well. And it's about women and women love it, but she still can't put her name on it. Right. 
I also love the way that they get into showing how much of a knack for storytelling she has here because they do sort of mm-hmm. transition from the walk to, you know, getting ready for bed at night. Uh, and it's all sort of presented as one contiguous story. But she's got such a a perfect presentation for this charming tale from her childhood. She's able to make it new and exciting and invite you in uh, just through the spoken word. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll see her writing flourish later on but you already are just aware that she has this talent for inviting you into to her world uh also just want to shout out that her mom is take turning down all the lamps and hears them moaning and i I was like oh i'm so sorry (laughs) i know i know i was like uh god (sighs) she's probably thinking he can't be that good (laughs) oh poor mom (laughs) poor mom uh, we return to Paris in 1895, where Verbar and Schwab, the writers, are rebelling as they haven't been paid in some time. Willie's like, I need more output. I just can't make enough money to pay my writers. Uh, so Gabrielle's like, well, what if you either uh, cut back on all the gambling and partying or hire another writer, maybe? Um, what am I, a monk? I was just like, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so like, it was like he, when he was like, you should unionize or something like that. I was just like, wow. <laughs> time is a flat circle but yeah it was just Indeed. really funny him being like what are we supposed to live like monks we can't. i'm like dude just stop yeah. drinking and gambling and buying horses just one horse stop mm-hmm. don't buy it no matter how much money they make he always squirrels it away on like frivolous things like cars and furniture and gambling and just anything he can do to like add stuff to his life basically yeah or he doesn't like the idea of giving up on all the gambling and whatnot. Uh, and she's like, you know, I could write some of my school stories for the next novel. Um, let me just eat an apple and ponder this idea. So she starts writing. She becomes the character Claudine Colette. And her voice again begins to narrate as she writes who she is. She's Claudine, uh, born in Montagny, Montagny. Uh, in 1873 and she suspects that she won't die there uh, which is a little snippet from her writing that we'll hear recounted several times throughout a sort of a touch point for that character. Gabrielle is editing with her dog in bed her writing when Willie comes home and he's like whoa you're still up she's like yeah I stayed up all day writing. Um, She tells him that she's changed a few details here and there to preserve the privacy of some folks and he's like yeah that's fine write what you want. everyone embellishes their stories right she tries to kiss him a bunch but he's too tired so she saves it for the book colette begins to write about being uh lonely as she walks through nature about the danger of the snake-filled bushes but the beauty of everything around her and willie reads her first draft as she waits um he's pulled into all of the country notes he tells her his notes on the draft He's like, oh, I found it very charming, and I was truly lost in this wonderful description of the country, but it will never be able to get this published. There's just no plot. There's nothing driving it. It's too Ugh. cloying and feminine. Yeah, um, I was like, shut up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, having had the audience hear a little bit of her writing uh, through the narration, I think it really helps that immediately you're like, oh, no, this man is so off base. Like, he's just wrong. This is actually yeah. great. It's going to be a sensation if it gets published. You just understand that inherently uh, from yeah. hearing a little snippet. <laughs> and even if you didn't, it's so funny because what he's what he's describing, I'm like, so you mean every, you mean the thing that makes the 
entire industry mm-hmm. run. Like fluffy female driven stuff <laughs> is literally why we have a publishing industry. Yeah. Sorry to tell you. The romance novels are going strong. They're holding it down. You know, you got to pay your dues. And having one that's so well written could only be a benefit to you. The rejection of her manuscript upsets her and she goes to scratch it all out uh, and instead ends up underlining the name Colette. Gabrielle goes to watch a soprano perform with a cantomime, which is uh, sort of like someone miming and uh, pretending to sing along to the soprano who is actually singing the whole time. It's a very interesting form of live theater. Um, She's getting a drink after and chatting with Schwab, who's the writer who seems to be the nicest to her of the two. (laughs) He's like, hey, girl, you're still with that that dingleberry? Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's pretty blasé about the whole novel not getting picked up thing. And he tells her uh, that the reason that he writes is just for his own internal world. He has to kind of share what he's thinking to survive. Just then, uh, Gaston and Jean interject. They're a new couple who introduce themselves. And Gabrielle introduces herself as Colette. So she begins to be Colette going forward. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. her new name of sorts, her new persona. Reclaiming her maiden name. Yeah. She's kind of, you know, the the idea of giving up your name when you get married is something that I think everyone is to a certain degree unpacking today, whether it's a heterosexual couple or a queer couple. But uh, even so, like to reclaim your last name, it does feel like to reclaim a self that you were before marriage. And I think it's really powerful that she's doing that here. Uh, especially because she's been so dedicated to the relationship up till now. And in a way, it does feel like she's returning to the thing that makes her herself more than the thing that makes her Willie's wife. Exactly. It's very much saying like, this is me. Mm -hmm. And And I think that's part of why when she starts feeling the conflict about not having her name on it, it's like the full erasure of who she is. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it's being praised, people don't actually know the truth behind that name. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Music picks up and Willie and another woman are admiring the electric lights that have been installed. Uh, Nice little remind you what period of time we're in. (laughs) Uh, Willie spots uh, Colette having her palm read by Gaston and Jean. She's clearly having a blast. She's smiling, laughing, having a good time. And this causes Willie to insist that they simply must leave now. It's time to go home. In the cart ride on the way home, Willie is annoyed that Gaston was so close to her, but Colette is just like, oh, your jealousy is directed all at the wrong place. It was his wife that I was uh, really found so interesting. Um, And she begins to kind of poke here, like, what would you think of that? Uh, And he he seems a bit startled, like taken aback as they're like, oh, well, if it's the woman you found interesting, I guess that's sort of a different case for me. you get this it was of- very bisexual it was yeah. one of those it, it's like i had so many flashbacks of like when you tell like a cishet man that you're bisexual and they're like well you know it's fine <laughs> it's, it's fine then yeah mm-hmm. it's about i made a note of it it's like 21 minutes in and that's when we finally uh no actually no i have it over here it's a <laughs> farther than that um do, 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 do. yeah it's like about 50 so minutes in is when we get to the gay bit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you start to be like, oh, maybe we have a little something going on in here. Um, it's like, why was this movie put in my queer recommendations? Oh, here it is. Okay. <laughs> it's not just Kira Knightley, although she's certainly helping. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, we now go to 1898. Time has moved forward yet again. There's a knock on the door and some men request to speak to the man of the house. They're the repo men here for some furniture that Willie is uh, losing to his many debts. They empty their clothes and desks out and once again Willie comes across Colette's manuscript. He flips through it once more and together they begin to go through the first draft to punch it up and bring it to the publishers. Uh, he's decided after all to publish the Claudine story. Mm-hmm. Claudine is published under the Willie name and it's an immediate sensation. The credit though all going to Willie as everyone in Paris is reading this story of this young girl in the country. Uh, it's popular not just with men, but a lot of women are huge Claudine fans as well. And uh, Claudette is, not Claudette, Colette is uh, just left to watch as Paris celebrates Willie's genius. I know, it's like everyone, it, it to me, I was thinking about like, it gives for the most contemporary thing we can think of, like very Harry Potter vibes, mm -hmm. you know, of just like everyone, like eventually people dressing up as her and doing all kind of stuff. It just felt like we forget how like big those kind of sensations are. Like I know like Little Lord Falkroy was another <laughs> one where like kids would literally want to dress up as this child character. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, we've always had cosplay. Uh, <laughs> so, so yay us. Yeah. But just the the ability to like see your work share and grow that way organically mm -hmm. is such a surreal thing because I don't think we have that happen organically as much anymore. It's always like these big machines pushing mm -hmm. it. Yeah, like the work of promotion just becomes so much more a part of the process than it's depicted as here. I also like that they explicitly call out that a lot of women in particular were reading and loving this book because there is sort of a history of women popularizing something uh mm -hmm. you know if you think back to like star trek was popular with women originally right that was its main right. fan base uh, and just creating these you know this would be too early to really have the concept of the fan space or the fandom but that's sort of what it is is reminds me of when i was watching this film uh and i i love that that has just been true throughout history of yeah you know we, we got some good taste <laughs> We really do. And we're the reason these things last, you mm -hmm. know, like these, we're the reasons that these things stand the test of time, even though you mock us for it. Exactly. Uh, you may have written it off as cloying, but now it's an immediate sensation. Exactly. Um, the publisher is surprised that Claudine is flying off the shelves, especially into the hands of young women. And as he talks with Willie about the negotiations on their way out, uh, to the carriage, they meet up with Colette, who introduces herself to the publisher, and he's like, oh, this was based on you a little bit, wasn't it? Uh, and she's like, oh, more than you might think. Mm -hmm. In the cart, Willie's like, why would you imply I'm not the true author of our big success? He's like, got <laughs> and it's like, because you're not, but okay. Uh, it's like branding, baby, <laughs> branding. You gotta, like, hold on to the brand. You need my we name are a as content a farm. <laughs> I've never written anything. That's why my name is so powerful as a writer. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he's like, we got to be careful. People will talk. He'll be like, oh, my God, you know, Willie didn't write it. There's tension. They argue. And in order to recover their good relationship, he's like, I've got a surprise for you, actually. Um, they go for a walk in nature where she identifies many trees for him. He doesn't quite get the appeal of this 
uh, natural world. He's like, oh, animals can be so cruel and vicious. Uh, but she's like, no, no, no. They're actually just doing as they are, as is their nature. And they're quite good. I, I like being out in nature and connected to the, the outside world. Um, and they, he's like, girl, couldn't be me, but have fun. <laughs> <laughs> they admire a manor house in the woods. And Willie walks them to the door to see if they can't get a drink. He rings the doorbell and then has her sneak the key out of his pocket. It turns out turns out that it's their country manor that he's purchased for her. She's awesome with, with her own money. <laughs> with her own money that she, uh, her, the success of her book allowed them to make. Uh, she's awestruck. Now she has somewhere to write and be alone. Wait a minute. Write? Like, write more? Uh, he got the money for the house by putting in advance on the next Claudine book, Claudine in Paris. And despite her protest that she just can't write another one, he brushes it off like, oh, you know, you could just write about us. They decide to talk details later and work begins on fixing up the country house. I loved their green parlor. I thought it looked awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want it was that so couch. beautiful. <laughs> My green Ikea couch is like, that's what it wants to be someday. <laughs> right. It was so sick. But when he like locked her in that room for Ugh. four hours, I was like, that's horrible. But truly, I need someone to do that for me. <laughs> like, I was like, I need someone to consensually lock me in a room with a, with a typewriter for four hours and no Wi-Fi and be like, right. I'd be like, all right, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She doesn't have as much of the next draft of the book as she did previously when he comes to check on her. And so he locks her in the... One of the rooms of the house, he's like, I'll let you out in four hours. Gonna get some writing done. And she expresses at this point that she's like, I don't like being out here writing alone. I, you know, I don't necessarily want to write another Claudine. Uh, but he is just using her for her creative work at this point. Um, Claudine in Paris hits the shelves. It's, it's an immediate follow-up success. We get a time skip to the, a park in Paris, the... Bois de Boulange. I'm not gonna even, you know, it's, <laughs> close, <laughs> close enough. We got it. It's 1900 now. That's the important part. Exactly. It's a turning of the century, or mm. whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Folks are biking and strolling. Uh, I love the what's the word for the giant front wheel bicycle, little back wheel one. They got their little. Oh moment. yeah, those like um yeah those big cycles um. Damn, what they used to call There's them. There's also one in The Princess Diaries, too. They make Chris Pine ride it for a while when he's going on the chase scene. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to look it up right now. I'm okay. like, what is it? Oh, uh, a penny farthing. Penny farthing. Okay, yeah. They get a little moment to show us that it is the 1900s. <laughs> Colette and Willie are also walking and go to have a little coffee and treats as they sit along the path. Nearby, uh, a woman and her maid try not to stare as they go and sit, and the maid eventually approaches the table and offers a note to Willie, inviting the two of them to join her American mistress, Duval, in her company. Uh, Duval is a debutante who married a rich munitions magnet three times her age and has been gallivanting through Paris ever since. God bless. God bless. Love that for her. <laughs> and it's, she and she was a real person and she seems to have been like a perma unicorn, like just always <laughs> like m- meeting people, having affairs, um, very chaotic bisexual energy. <laughs> I love, you know, she's very true to herself. She's living her life. She knows how to defend her life when it comes down to it, which we'll get to in just a minute. But yeah, she yeah. was like, my husband will handle this. <laughs> 
they get dinner with her and her maid where the conversation is entertaining, all laughing and enjoying each other's company. Uh, Colette brushes a little strand of Duval's hair back behind her ear and the tension is palpable. (laughs) (laughs) The maid goes to ready the carriage and Duval offers a nightcap if they want to stop by, Uh, but Willie turns her down so they part ways and immediately after she leaves, Willie is like, "Uh, Colette, that invitation was clearly for you. You should uh, go on ahead. I'll go home and just think of you guys instead. That was the realest thing he said the whole movie. The, He's like, I will think of you too fondly. And I'm just like, I'm sure you will, bro. At this point, I thought maybe their relationship could be salvaged and it would just become like uh, she's going to gain her own agency and they just have sort of a marriage of convenience type thing for a while. But this is really the only like bright point for him in the film. I know. It's like he, it's just downhill from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colette does indeed go to Duval's, though, admiring the decor. And uh, they immediately move into seducing each other and the two women do hook up and it's great. <laughs> the next morning Colette returns to Willie cutting articles in the paper she doesn't say much to him about what went down but he kind of gets the drift and he's like you gotta write about that stuff that's that's sensational people will eat mm-hmm. that up uh, Willie then goes to visit Duval himself though he has no reason to be there and she invites him in and now it is his turn to come home uh, after a uh, suspicious amount of time as uh, Colette is writing pretending that he had to be at the bank for a meeting They continue to trade on and off who is leaving for a hookup with Duval at the same time, neither really telling the other what they're doing, until one day, Colette is going to visit and spots Willie on the balcony of Duval's and rushes in uh, only to find him MIA. She returns home to right of the scene, but in her version, the... uh, the Willie stand-in of the, the Claudine novels, Renaud, is there, uh, and she is able to tell him off for lying to her. And as he reads this scene later and edits it, they discuss in terms of the character in the novel, Claudine and Renaud, the same situation that happened to them and their actual relationship and how she feels betrayed by him for the lying more so than anything else, uh, especially mm-hmm. since, you know, if it had been her running around with a young man, he'd have found it unacceptable, but it's only because it was a woman that he seemed to look the other way. And again, we get to that core of the, the real problem that they have is the communication and the lying more so than the actual actions anyone's taking. Yeah. It's like his ego is like for someone who's so like libertine and like, oh, it's all about passion. It's like, it's all about your passion. Mm-hmm. If you really enjoyed other people's passion, then you wouldn't care. Exactly. You just enjoy your wife having great sex. <laughs> uh, she then says she's going to kill Ronald, the character, off in her next book, which I thought was very fun and kind of a little petty in the best way. Yeah, I loved it. Um, another historical fact. So the funny thing is that apparently neither, from what I read, I, it appears that like, so that the redhead was having an affair with both of them, mm-hmm. but neither of them knew about the other. Ah, uh. And then they end up just having a threesome together. Um, but that <laughs> I think I think it was dramatized for a better resource uh, in this version mm-hmm. of it. But it was interesting to be like, oh, yeah, she was just like, oh, my gosh, can you believe it? Both of you are here at the same time. Crazy. It was, uh, yeah. Um, people who tell you that it was it used to be a simpler time or that we've lost some like a sense of morality they're liars we've never had morality (laughs) no just less uh ways to talk about it um 
Colette goes to visit Duval, and Duval talks about her husband wanted to challenge Willie to a duel after hearing of the affair, but she talked him down, and she begs Colette to ask Willie to change the book before it's published so that the details of the affair don't come out. But Colette won't stop the print, so Duval reveals that her husband has already bought the publisher to get them to stop the production of the entire print run of Claudine books, uh, which infuriates Colette. But when we cut to the next scene, Willie and Colette don't seem even a little bit perturbed by this development, as Willie is the one who holds the copyright, so they just went to a different publisher and the book went to print anyway. And that's how you get away with slander. <laughs> well, technically it isn't even because it was true. She's mm-hmm. just embarrassed. Yeah. Scandal, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's been handled. Mm-hmm. Willie has a plan to make Claudine a household name as though she isn't already, and they take to the theater in 1903. They're holding auditions for the part of Claudine in a stage performance as uh, one actress does terribly, which Colette's like, no, 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 we can't go with her. Yeah, she's like, please don't. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And as the auditions continue, another actress marches in and declares herself the real Claudine. Her name is Polaire, the pride of Algiers. And as they later consider the actress and her bobbed haircut and attitude, Willie comes up with the idea of Polaire and Colette being the Claudine twins for publicity. And though Colette is against it, she soon is sporting the same bob as Polaire and creating this Col- and this Claudine character of sorts. Yeah, it's... I mean, the, the worst part is that he was right. It does look great on her. Yeah, I mean, it's curious. I was, I was, I was like, I was, I was like... I was like when you're right, you're right, sir. When you're right, you're right. Unfortunately, it's a great look. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's an immaculate look we fear. Mm-hmm. It's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, and at this point too, her like costumes have started to get a lot more structured and masculine looking. So she's still wearing like the dresses of the time, but we see her in a few shorter skirts and more like almost button up and suit jacket looking tops. And it's just a nice little like shift from she's not a she's no longer girlish. Not only has she cut her long hair, which she's been keeping up part of the film, but uh, she's just fully moving even more into this androgynous space with the shorter haircut and the structured clothing. And I I love the transition. I love the costume department's moves on this. one. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. Uh, The couple settle into their box to watch the performance where Polaire is playing Claudine. Uh, The show is a hit. Willie at the bar after is talking with other writers about his success. Meanwhile, Schwab, who just seems to be like an ally throughout the rest of this movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he really is just there to be like a little sassy with Colette sometimes. And I love that for him. He's like, Uh, I support you, queen. Like, you got it. You get it. You're the real like genius here. Um, They're admiring uh, a woman in pants named Missy, uh, who is just so powerful she's so well connected and comes from such a a royal lineage that she's been able to get away with trousers in public soon polaire makes an over-the-top entrance in the party being carried by four uh almost naked strong men on a peacock feather covered little cart Uh, as you do as you do she immediately sits with willie and willie pulls her and colette onto his knee for a picture of the quote-unquote claudine family uh, Willie leads the party into a Claudine-based dance song chant thing, and the pair eventually return home afterwards. Willie, over the moon happy, would like to have sex, but Colette uh, just walks away at first. She eventually returns with the Claudine costume on, uh, which he's clearly into, but she is definitely not thrilled with. It's so weird. 
Yeah. It's like it's such a weird I think it it's one of the, it's 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 like triply weird. It's weird mm-hmm. because it's his own IP. It's weird <laughs> cuz it's technically his wife's IP. Mm-hmm. So it's like you so you want to sleep with your wife but like a younger version of your wife that you monetized. Yeah. You want to sleep with like the idealized version of your wife that like you you're trying so hard to almost mold her back into with the haircut and the character and the idea of like the Claudine pair like you don't care about her as she is and as the person that she is now you're into what you have in your mind of her from when you guys first met from this IP that you've created and really this character you've constructed that is while based on her not it's not her it's not the real person right exactly um, oh, so some interesting facts about Max, since Ooh. we've introduced them. Um, I don't know what pronouns Max would have used. Uh, in the movie, it, it sounds as if they refer to Max as a he. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do that. It started with she, her, and then by the time later when uh, they're in a relationship, uh, Colette and Missy, I guess, spoiler alert. Uh, he's using he so I'm gonna use my summary I'm gonna go by what they were doing at any point in the movie but yeah oh for I sure think he yeah. is more accurate in the broader strokes oh yeah for sure and I think like you know one of the things that's interesting about talking about like queerness um in this time period is that like there just wasn't that kind of language mm-hmm, so exactly. like you know they're just Max so yeah. Max was an aristocrat and a painter um his father was the half-brother of Napoleon III, who was the last uh, monarch of France. So, uh, and also Napoleon's nephew. So he comes from, so Max comes from like super French aristocracy. And his first marriage was to a gay man, actually. Mm. Um, They kind of switch it around a little bit in the um, movie, but in the film, I mean, in real life, they got married to cover their mutual homosexuality, but they didn't get along, and that's why they got (laughs) divorced. They're like, they couldn't stand each other. Um, And then part of the scandal about wearing pants is that technically, at the time, um, it used to be illegal Mm -hmm. for anyone but men to wear trousers. So the reason that they're even allowed to do it is literally because they are such a socialite and such an elite person that they're able to sort of like skirt those social more social norms because it really was illegal and i and i think there's a point where they even address that explicitly in the film mm-hmm. which you know is like in is, is like a good piece of just like dialogue but yeah they were a real person who really did live very openly in masculine clothes and had several affairs with other women and just pretty much attempted to live their truest life as a male presenting person. Yeah. I I think it's always really interesting to see because like you mentioned, there really wasn't like the language that we have now for the queer community back in the day. So when a film is covering a historically queer figure, um, finding ways to work around that language gap without just inserting like, oh, this character was X, because you can't know that, right? Like they're a person who existed and we can make guesses, but you know, that no one can know their lived experience if they don't say I was this explicitly. Um, And I think this movie does a pretty good job of just kind of letting the character exist as they are, as as the person is, uh, and never asking them to come out, look at the camera and say, I am this. Uh, they just let them be a person. 
Right. And and there are multiple identities that Max fits well into mm-hmm. anyway. You know, I have non-binary friends who have that ex- experience. I have a non-binary friend named Max. So it's <laughs> like, you know, whether it be trans, non-binary or like a butch or just a very butch woman, mm-hmm. um, all of those things can fit into it. So I think it's just more a reflection of how these things aren't new. Yeah. You know, this is somebody that like was born in the 1800s and managed to live a life that they wanted up until 1944. Exactly. Uh, they did have they did have a tragic end. They did die by suicide, but mm. I do think that t- they lived until they were about 80 81, 82 years old, and I think even being able to live that long as yourself mm-hmm. is something that makes them a notable person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just for the reference of the description, like I said, I'm going to be using the pronouns that the film was using at any given point during the summary. And also the film does refer to them as Missy. So that's the name I'm going to use. But again, the real mm-hmm. historical figure may differ from this film presentation. I encourage anyone absolutely. who's interested to do some research because they're a fascinating. Oh, person. yeah. Oh, yeah. They go by Missy. They go by Max. So there's there's a lot of things, which is very true to life now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Claudine look is becoming ever more popular. Women are getting the dress and the bob. Willie and the girls are taking promo photo after promo photo. The merch is flying off the shelves. There's mm-hmm. fans. There's candy. There's just about anything you can slap the Claudine name on. Colette uh, and Missy, meanwhile, are off on a walk, joking about all of the Claudines that they see around Paris. Missy recognizes that Colette is, of course, the one who gave a voice to this woman and admits that it was her who wrote everything. Uh, And (laughs) it's an immediate moment of like, yeah, no, we all Mm -hmm. know that it's the wife in this case who was doing the writing. Um, Yeah. Colette later writes to Missy about how taken she is with him, uh, a true gentleman in every sense of the word. Uh, And we then go to the writer's office once again where willie's uh, i assume secretary or Heyman Heon will learn his name later um, helion yeah helion yeah gets a call while colette shares lunch with the pantomime artist from earlier uh oh man i want to say wagner but i think i might just have x-men on the brain <laughs> <laughs> he invites her to come on tour with his troupe uh and although she seems a little hesitant at first she's clearly interested in the world of the theater when they were casting the show earlier she kind of made an offhand comment to willie about like oh well, why don't i you know audition i could maybe i could be on stage and he had just brushed her off as, as some silly ambition um mm-hmm. just then a young girl comes in hoping willie would sign the copy of her book her claudine book and she heads into the office asking her him to sign it and introduces herself as meg a 23 year old who does not mind that he's 46 not at all (laughs) uh colette and willie hang out in the country with missy and meg uh willie and colette share a drink and talk about their respective uh love interests colette seems content for once though willie seems to think that there is something missing and we uh hard cut to missy and colette getting busy (laughs) and it's like there's nothing missing at all nope uh... she is uh fully satisfied (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no notes no editorial uh needed no <laughs> uh meg meanwhile is in the claudine outfit acting for willie just like uh colette was earlier it seems that he has something uh of a new thing this is his kink now yeah. this is his kink now it's like yeah yeah cool 
Missy is, this is a scene we mentioned at the top of the episode. Missy helps Colette do crunches. <laughs> we love a little Kira Knightley working out. Iconic. <laughs> and Colette asks Missy about his previous marriage, and he explains that it ended badly. Uh, we don't go into too much detail, but he also goes on to talk about how uh, he's never felt right in a dress, uh, how he always felt ridiculous growing up in, you know, pigtails and a dress as a kid. And it's only when he tried on his brother's school uniform that he really starts to felt right and like himself. And that's why he chooses to dress uh, in trousers uh, and it, it acknowledges that it's because of the connections and the wealth that he has that he's able to live the life that he wants. Mm-hmm. Missy asks Colette if she's happy with Willie's insistence on her dressing as the schoolgirl Claudine, and Colette is sort of brushes it off like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough. Uh, but Missy wonders if there will come a time when Colette must decide if she's Claudine or Colette after all. Uh, Colette returns to their office, now in pants. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to pants life. Wardrobe is popping off once again. She looks amazing. <laughs> I know. I just, everything about her look, I was like, it's giving tar. I was yes. like, it's like, it's a, such good. I was like, they took no- the tar audience took notes because yeah. it's so good. Uh, Willie is surprised, but seemingly less surprised about her having pants than he is uh, against her idea that they publish the next book under both of their names. Um, he's got a line about like, oh, you know, I'm surprised no one like beat you up or arrested you on the way over here for wearing those. And then immediately moves on to like, no, 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 no. It's got to be just under my name. We can't risk it. What are you talking about? Don't bring other ideas into here. Willie insists that uh, they can't risk putting both of their names on the book. And she reaches her limit, insulting him and storming out. She walks the streets, coming to the Seine to stare out over it, spotting all of the Claudines walking about and we jump forward in time to 1904, where Colette has decided to get into theater. <laughs> As you do. As you it's do. like you, you find out that you're bi, you have your heart, you have your heart partner, and then you're like, wow, maybe I need to get into the arts more. <laughs> She's going to a pantomime practice of sorts. She's here for a lesson with uh, Vogue, the artist we saw earlier that she really admired. Maybe she'll be on stage after all. She continues to practice instead of writing at home, and Willie offhandedly jokes about locking her up again, uh, and how she's not going to have enough talent at this whole performing thing. She's going to have to perform in concert halls, and that's just so scandalous. Uh, but she points out that Willie's never really seemed to mind scandal much before. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, right. I did literally say that to you. <laughs> yeah. Colette goes on to say, like, well, Missy's been supportive of me. He even goes to practice sometimes with me. Uh, And Willie notes this and is like, oh, is he ever going to perform? But Colette's like, no, Missy's far too shy. He doesn't have any intention to ever go up on stage. So Willie immediately goes to a lunch meeting with the producer and pitches the two of them doing a performance of Dream of Egypt in a music hall, uh, saying that, yeah, I totally can, like, commit the, uh, you know, uh, words are escaping me uh, I can totally commit Missy's family name to being on all the posters and the crest can be on all the posters they're definitely in on this um, mm-hmm. Willie is the only backer for this performance he's putting a lot of money on it and we immediately go to Moulin Rouge <laughs> Fule, Fule. It's, it's, has, it's so wild like, <laughs> this, this scene is so is so wild but the, the wild thing about it it actually happened like this is all based on a real incident mm-hmm. that happened so 
Ah, yes, continue. Yeah. I know it's based on a real institute, but something about seeing the Moulin Rouge, uh, like, sign and poster did immediately be like, they were just reusing the set. Like, this feels like uh, obscure Marvel characters showing up at a movie moment. It's like, oh my god, we can all point at the screen. I know, that. it's like, I know who that is! I, I understand that. that reference. I know. Yeah. It's, that's how I felt, like, when they bring up the Eiffel Tower. I was like, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> I know that. I've been... I haven't been there, but I know what it looks like from all the pictures and whatnot. The snow globes. <laughs> right. I've been there. I've been there once. And I was just like, I've seen it. I was mm-hmm. under there for like three hours with a bunch of my friends because we were waiting to like take a picture with the lights. Mm-hmm. So we had to wait until it was dark time. And that's how we found out that there are bats huh. uh, in Paris. We were. I looked up in the sky <laughs> and I'm like, why are there birds just like circling in this cloud? I was like, wait, those are Bats. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying <laughs> terrifying beautiful city <laughs> terrifying as well uh meg and willie sit down to attend the performance along with some of missy's husband's former friends um ooh, they don't seem happy to be there the lights dim and performance starts colette rises from the mummy's tomb and begins her dance uh with missy ending and a big old kiss right in center stage. They're immediately booed and chased out and off stage by a bunch of thrown glass bottles as the audience erupts into just like vitreous, absolutely hateful uh, boos and jaunts and cheers. Um, everyone is pissed at Willie for putting on such a performance and just chaos erupts. A reporter backstage asks Colette for her thoughts after tonight, and she's just furious at the cowards who were throwing things at them. Uh, Missy wants her to let it go, but Colette's like, well, these men came here looking for a fight, and I am not even a little bit afraid, and I intend to continue, though Missy does not want to uh, keep up the performances. Their show Mm -hmm. immediately canceled, and we go to Saint-Sauvier. Saint-Sauvier. Yeah, Saint-Sauvier. Saint-Sauvier. Now 1905. Colette has returned home for a funeral, her father's funeral. Uh, Willie arrives late to this, which so rude. <laughs> I was like, just I was like, I almost was like, don't come at all, but yeah, you, know, you have to come. You gotta like, come, ugh, ugh. dude. Willie tells her that they lost all their money at the Moulin Rouge and wants to sell the country house. She's like, no, don't do that. I love that place, but it's in his name, so she can't stop him from doing it. Talking to her mother. Uh, her mom's like Colette you gotta divorce that guy like ASAP and audit him and, and audit, audit him, him. <laughs> I love her mother <laughs> she's like get out get your money and get out um, mm-hmm. his accounts are a mess the man is broken uh, and you should be writing things under your own name actually Gabrielle doesn't want to write she's decided to go on tour with Vogue for six months and do some theater uh, which is when Willie re-enters the room and the conversation immediately stops we go back on the train. Colette is off on tour in her pants while Willie sits down to write the... Maybe for the first time all movie, he's sitting down to write something. He's trying to write another Claudine book and he cannot get past the title and his name. Meanwhile, uh, Colette is killing it on stage. She is performing sometimes one tit out, but she is just eating it up. Uh, good for her. Good for her. It's uh, her heiress tour. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> Uh, Willie meets with his publisher to sell him the sole rights to Claudine in perpetuity. Uh, really doing like the ultimate betrayal of Colette in selling this thing that she's created without her knowledge. 
Colette tells Missy about her plans to pack up the house in the country, and Missy assures her that uh, she doesn't have to worry about Willie and that if she wanted, Missy could arrange everything because he loves her. Aww. Mm-hmm. The country house is being packed up, and Willie proposes adapting Claudine to the big screen when uh, Colette finds the snow globe he gave her all those years ago, and he reminisces looking at it, saying that he misses her. Um, he wants her to be the woman that she was, the girl he fell in love with all those years ago, but she just asks how the book is going with Meg, and of course it's going terribly. Yeah, it's all it's all spice, no literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Typical. Colette and Willie debate if they're finished after all, and Willie's like, no, but you're so brilliant when you're with me, uh, which is just false. She's brilliant all the time. <laughs> exactly. And she's seeing that all the time, too, you dingus. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can't keep gambling away all this money and whatnot. Willie asks to sleep in her bed that night as the silence of the house terrifies him. He just can't be alone with his thoughts in the way that she can. Uh, and she asks if everything is okay, and he admits that he doesn't want to sleep with Meg anymore. Um... You know, they sleep next to each other, but it's just not the same. Colette gets her cheers at the theater and is greeted backstage by the publisher who offers her flowers and to take her and Missy to dinner. Uh, And he lets slip that Willie has a settlement for the rights to the Claudines, something that is news to her. uh, And she is immediately clearly enraged. She stews on this, eventually arriving at his office, furious that... He could have sold any of his other novels, anything else, but instead he sold Claudine. She tells him that he's done something hateful and stupid, and he's like, well, no, no, you know, we can just write more. And she's like, no, you know, you've been treating me like I'm an investment and not a person this whole time. Uh, he tries to come back with like, but no, no, I'm a man. I'm in love. You, Your love is what I cared about. But if he had really cared about it, as she expresses, he wouldn't have killed their child, those books, And there's no chance to repair what's been done now because she is the real Claudine. She put all of herself into those books and he just sold them like they were nothing. She's ashamed of writing them for him, of being molded by him. And now she's finally breaking free. She's killing Claudine because Colette has outgrown her. I love, amazing, fantastic. They just stay on Kira Knightley in this whole shot, just like a nice tight letter performance. She absolutely kills this incredible moment. <laughs> it's an incredible moment, but and it's also just like you're so dumb, dude. Yeah. Like why would you sell the right the, the rights? You know how important that is. Mm-hmm. You literally managed to manipulate a whole different character because you had the rights. It do, it it's so god it's so crazy <laughs> it's stupid and i they really let they don't give him a chance to have any sort of a comeback either he really just sort of like sputters and apologizes before she leaves and it's incredible to see him just have not he's got nothing he's given everything away he sold the rights for less than it costs for them to get an advance on one book it's it's just a completely foolhardy move on his point and it allows her to just completely break free to be her own person to own uh herself and what she gave him and to move on completely. Yeah. It's it's the best gift for her. It just sucks because it's like it's it's just so heartbreaking to have you know, it's it's true. Like they made something together. Mm-hmm. You know, they made this entire thing together and he sold it. 
Yeah. Under, un, without saying anything, without a word, because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Just because he needed a little money a little quickly. He thought, this will do it. This will break her. And instead, it made her, uh, unfortunately, you know, something so awful made her stronger. <laughs> it gave her the strength to finally dump his ass. Yeah. It was it was the final, the final straw. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we needed that straw. Yeah. <laughs> as sad as it was. <laughs> Willie goes over to the original Claudine manuscript with his uh, secretary before giving them to him to burn. But he does not burn the manuscripts, instead flipping through and reading them. Meanwhile, on a train ride away from Paris, Colette watches Missy sleep, the two sharing a small smile and Colette mouthing, I love you. They're adorable. I loved it. (laughs) I know. They're so good. Uh, Colette's socks tear as she readies herself for a show and going to fish through her trunk for another one. She ends up finding a blank notebook and she begins to write again this time about her current self and this time publishing it under her own name and uh, we go to credits as she has picked up her career she's starting to write as her real self once more and the credits do give little uh, pieces of information about the actual historical Colette Um, she her published novel The Vagabond which is the one she's seen writing at the very end of the film published under her Mm -hmm. own name immediately was a, a huge success and she would go on to have an incredibly successful uh career Colette and Missy continued to date. Uh, Colette and Willie never spoke after their divorce. And the Claudine manuscripts were eventually returned to Colette uh, by uh, Helion. Helion? Helion. Yeah, Helion. Yeah. Uh, Returned to Colette, which, good for him. Uh, She used the manuscripts to win acknowledgement as the true author of the novel of the novels and uh colette would go on to continue writing and would become one of the most celebrated female french authors uh, uh throughout history mm-hmm. love that for her we love a I we love a happy ending <laughs> especially in something based off of a true story you know history is complicated you tend not to get a, a grand heroic finale but i do think that the the way that she was able to reclaim control of her life uh even beyond the bounds of the film is very uh, admirable um but that is Colette, <laughs> 2018. Yeah. Uh, really fun. I like to, you know, kind of bring it into to closing thoughts on the film here. Um, I like to ask, is this a film you would recommend our viewers watch? Maybe in what situation they should watch it? And any just sort of like closing thoughts on the film as a whole? Uh, I know you mentioned you have some notes. So if there's anything we haven't touched on, <laughs> you can jump oh, no, in. I, I, yeah, for sure. I think what's so interesting about this movie is that it came out before two really big queer movies came out and I think that this has a very interesting thing to say about how gender and sexuality intersect intersect in a creative way in terms of like the creative sphere you know with mm-hmm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Aminette you know they're, they're very insular films and, and that's part of what they work um, but Colette being a real person adds this other layer to it mm-hmm. of like what does it mean to be an openly queer writer in the turn of the century you know what does it mean Mm -hmm. to like have a partner who whose gender no one fully understands in the public light um i think that those other movies are very quiet and private and while there are obviously private moments in this film what we are talking about is like a real life phenomenon Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting watching that be explored um, and I think it's worth watching is because I feel there are so few films about 
female geniuses that are good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did the Oppenheimer. I watched it. I, mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy it. But I was left feeling this kind of ennui of like, wow, we really don't have a great, great movies about creative, inventive women the way we do about men. Mm-hmm. And the ones that we do have are always about like, their lost loves or like their lost relationships. And so it was even nice for like for Colette. It's like she did get to to date Missy for as long as she, as she wanted. She had other affairs. She had a bit of a messy later life, but like she got to live the life that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's such a rare thing to see someone be able to do. And it is somewhat telling that in fiction, we don't often see that as a possibility, but the truth can sometimes be more satisfying than fiction. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head with like, this is a much more, because it is based on a real person and like a real, real historical events, it's much more public than a lot of, especially like queer period pieces that you might get where it's all about their private lives. Because for one thing, we just have the information to go off of, right? You know, you have this person who shared so much of their life that you're able to get a sense of it and in a way no matter how you approach it when you're approaching a historical figure you are the outside looking in right if it's not autobiographical Mm. you can never really know exactly what a person was thinking at any given moment of their life Um, and I think that that helps this film take that outside lens and present this queer story uh, in a way that almost felt more open than some of those very private stories do Uh, it, it almost felt more like we were being invited to to get her perspective and to understand her life. Uh, And I do really love like, you know, based on a true story, based on a real person, um, at times this movie doesn't necessarily have the clearest narrative structure, but I think that that ultimately works Mm -hmm. because they are able to, uh, both through Kira Knightley's fantastic performance, I really can't say that enough, I loved her in this movie, uh, but also just with the pacing and what events they do choose to present, that does feel like there's a very clear through line throughout this film, which helps pull you in to enjoy the ride even as you know this (laughs) we start in this terrible place for her where she's not getting the credit she deserves and she's in this marriage with these many problems and by the end you're like hell yeah she's tits out on stage this woman is living and i love this for her (laughs) and it feels celebratory uh rather Mm -hmm. than tragic right and i think even just thinking about how like at a certain point the biggest book and biggest brand in france was this story about this 15-year-old girl that's, like, filled with homoeroticism, you know, like, Mm -hmm. filled with, like, these feelings of sexuality. Like, like, YA, like a YA book, you know? (laughs) Like, like truly a young adult novel about being at that liminal space. And I think it just, it also highlights how we have always underestimated young women as a Mm -hmm. market, but they are so wanting to, to, to be there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, everyone wants to read stories that they can connect with. And this was a huge phenomenon that allowed a lot of young girls to connect with it, especially. You see it throughout the film. Every time they do a cutaway shot to girls dressed as Colette, they're young girls. They're teens. They're in their 20s. They're really engaging and connecting with this character who is explicitly quite queer. Um, it's, It's really it's an interesting perspective to take. And I think they really pull it off in this film. Agreed. Yeah, but uh, that is Colette. 
a really great watch. Can't recommend it enough if you're looking for if you've maybe you've watched a portrait of a woman on fire recently. And you're thinking, how can I make this a double feature? Uh, or maybe you've seen Oppenheimer and you want something that will celebrate a, a female genius. This is a great option for that. Maybe you just really like Kira Knightley. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a totally valid. That's, <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's a perfect reason to show up because mm-hmm. I know that's part of it for me. <laughs> But uh, Princess, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a delight. If our listeners want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great excuse to rewatch like one of my <laughs> one of my like really unsung like gay gems. Oh yeah. Uh, if, I'm trying to be less on X, but if people would like to hear more from me, I have a YouTube channel called Princess Weeks where I do video essays on pop culture. Um, I also am on TikTok as P Wiggles, uh, P W I double G L E S. Um, I love it. And I just say random stuff on there for fun. Uh, and yeah, that's my limited but satisfying social media. Yeah, I really recommend checking out her video on Confederate vampires. That was fantastic. Uh, I know Thank you. A huge moment for you. But yeah, definitely go check out Princess's stuff. It'll all be linked in the show notes down below. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. I'm off to go buy a copy of some of the Claudine books, I guess, or perhaps The Vagabond. Uh, maybe, oh, yeah. uh, maybe work on my friends' pronunciations. I'll make no promises in that regard. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Right, bye. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on September 11th with another thrilling installment, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for exclusive bonuses like monthly patron-selected movie reviews. I'd like to take a second to thank... All of the folks who joined us over on Patreon last month, it's because of you guys and everyone over there that we are able to keep the lights on on this show and help keep Ziggy in the good cat food. So special thank you to Callia Gray, Thomas Parker, Ethan Hartzell, and Kitka.